This is Mayo Clinic Talks, a curated weekly podcast for physicians and healthcare providers. I'm your host, Denise Dupra, a general internist involved in primary care at Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, and an associate director of education for the Center for Individualized Medicine in Rochester. Over the next few weeks, we're going to devote a mini-series of Mayo Clinic Talks to the incredible field of genes and your health. We'll discuss concepts in genetics that are essential to providing the best care of your patients and how you can apply this information to individualize and optimize patient care in your own practice. Today, it is my great pleasure. We are joined by Dr. Costantinos Lazaridis a Mayo Clinic consultant in gastroenterology. Dr. Lazaridis is the Carlson and Nelson Endowed Executive Director for the Center for Individualized Medicine, a consultant in the Division of Gastroenterology and Hepatology, Department of Internal Medicine, with a joint appointment in the Department of Clinical Genomics at Mayo Clinic. He is a professor of medicine in the Mayo Clinic College of Medicine. Dr. Lazaridis's research interests include genetic susceptibility to the environmental contributors to chronic cholestatic liver diseases and the biology of biliary epithelia. Through his research, Dr. Lazaridis and his team hope to explain the development and outcome of chronic cholestatic liver diseases, namely primary biliary cirrhosis and primary sclerosing cholangitis. Thank you so much, Costas, for being with us today. So I thought we come with a set of genetic material. So how is it that, what does exposome mean? Because I don't think of the genetic material as being mutable. So what does the exposome mean? So uh, thank you for the question. That's uh, very important for us to define the exposome. This is a term that was coined by uh, Chris Wilde back in uh, 2005, which includes all the exposures we have been around to since utero. And so those are everything that is in our environment. Now, there are many elements in the environment where we live, actually millions of exposures. We think that those are important one way or the other for both wellness and disease. When this concept was made almost 20 years ago, it was a new way for us to understand how environmental influences interact with our genetic material to contribute to disease in many different ways. But it became more obvious that this is an area where we can learn more about it once the methodologies to study the exposome became available. The same with the, with the human sequencing. We knew about the presence of DNA it was not possible to understand the significance of germline or somatic mutations until we were be able to measure those elements in both health and disease. Now that we can do this effectively and in a low cost approach, we can see the value of genetic testing to almost clinical practice these days. Our vision is the same will happen with exposures and the exposome. So imagine that we can be in a way to measure exposures in the bloodstream, in the urine, and other compartments, and understand more and more what those exposures mean to our wellness and to disease. At the same time, I can go back and say that genetics cannot explain everything. We know that. 
And so we have to understand the missing link or the element that we don't have a good capacity of understanding, which down the road will be very useful. And we think the missing partner is the environment and thus the exposome. So it's fascinating because I think in medicine, simplistically, we've always talked about nurture versus nature. So for me, nature is the genetic piece. You know, what did you get from your mom? What did you get from your dad? What are your predisposing elements towards disease A or disease B? And and when I think about breast cancer, there may be a single inheritable yes or no. Yes. But I know there's a lot of talk about multi-genomic inheritance. But it sounds like what you're talking about is more nurture in terms of not only what your parents gave you for genes, but where you live, what you've been exposed to, not only in your home environment, but the things around you. Yeah. Um, how do you go about starting to measure that? I fully agree with your thoughts, but think along these ways that we shared the same genes or very similar genes with our family members, but also we share the same environment. We lived in the same household. We exposed to the same food. People, when they live in the same household, usually they have the same exposures because we consume the same food. We are exposed to the same chemicals which we use in the house. One chemical, if you will, that we all know that has impact on us is smoking, correct? The other is excessive use of alcohol, another, another exposure. But those are the things that we have been able to understand using epidemiological studies where we say, well, when you drink excessively or you have more than X pack years, whether you are first-hand or second-hand smoker, this leads to this. We did the same thing with radon and lung cancer and other exposures. Those are great. What we're trying to convey with the concept of the exposome, we have to go beyond that. We have to go beyond epidemiological studies, which they had significant value, but the granularity of what we like to bring to the field to study other exposures should go above and beyond what's obvious to us. Many years ago, we were doing a study for one of my areas of interest, a very rare uh, liver disease called primary sclerosis conjitis, and we asked more than a thousand patients and controls about exposures to many elements all the way from diet to what we can conceive as exposure such as pesticides. When we did that, we found very few, if any, exposures that associate with disease. Five years later, when we were able to measure exposures in their bloodstream by using mass spec and other methodologies, pesticides are now the highest hit among patients compared to controls. And what is more also interesting is that this particular pesticide we found, and we published on this report, it doesn't exist in the United States. So where this comes from? This comes from our diet. Quite frankly, we don't know what's in our diet unless you grow something in your backyard, and even so. And so we think that assessing environmental exposures in an organized fashion as a testing rather than as an epidemiological study will give us a lot of clues to how we understand this gene environment interaction. 
so Costas, that stuff's fascinating. I think back to some of the studies that I've read about in the past about, you know, twins separated at birth where you actually separate and they don't grow up in the same environments. But when you've looked at these studies, do you actually see alterations in genetic material? I mean, can you see that? Or, you know, you talk about mismatched pair genes and colorectal cancer and, and things like that. Do you see genetic abnormalities that you can postulate come from these exposures? There is some early work, but we need to do more in that particular space. So I was talking with Dr. Wilman, our new cancer director. She's very excited to start examining this opportunity of comparing exposures with germline mutations. And actually... We have more than one paradigm. There are some paradigms about exposures to uranium in some particular place in the United States and how this translates with germline mutations. There are other paradigms also where clusters of cases of breast cancer exist in some particular areas or populations. So there are paradigms out there that environmental exposures target our genetic material. But it goes beyond that. That's one mechanism. The other mechanism is that it doesn't affect the germline. It may affect somatic mutations, but it may affect inflammatory reactions, correct? It may affect, you know, the way other systems, which we don't even understand how they may play out to disease. Well, you know, I think about some of the talks. I think that we did a podcast last year with Dr. Samatter yes. out of Arizona, and looked at colorectal and some of the other GI cancers and the fact that there's a lot of cancers that seem to cluster in families mm -hmm. and don't follow Lynch, don't yes. follow some of the known genetic mutations, but there's clearly something that tends to quote, run in families. Yes. And we don't know what that is. And it does, at least in my mind, make sense that there's something similar. And learning about the exposome you start to wonder, was this some exposure that they share over time living in a certain area that might have predisposed them along with other events? Because it becomes pretty clear these days. I laugh when I talk with medical students. It's like you start out and you think, oh, I have so much to learn. And then you learn some more. And you go, oh, my God, I have to learn so much more. And I feel that as we learn more about the genome and about genomics in general, there's just much more to learn. Oh, yeah, there's no doubt. We know that today, medical knowledge doubles every 72 days. You know, 50 years ago, you know, it would have taken probably 30, 40 years for this to happen. So when you have this significant exponential growth of knowledge, many new opportunities will come forward and we're going to learn a lot about all those things. And as I said earlier, the concept of the exposome started almost 20 years ago, 2005, by uh, Chris Willis. But what is possible today and what is new today is the ability we can measure it better than before at a low cost. Still, there is room to improve those methodologies. Still, we're behind compared to what we can do with genomics. We're probably 10 years behind to where genomics is today. And so the way I'm thinking about and, and, the, and what I think about the practice 10 years from now, we run your exposome in addition to your genome, and then we can tell you, you have one cat, two dogs, <laughs> you eat bananas, and you have been exposed to A, B, and C, and some of those are accumulating, and we have to do something to remove them from your body to start 
improving your care. And I can tell you one more thing as we're discussing between two practitioners. As a practitioner, when you see someone with hemochromatosis, you try to reduce the load of iron because that's what they accumulate. As I practitioner you know, GI hepatology, when I have someone with Wilson's disease, I like to monitor their copper because that's what they accumulate. I think we have to find out what accumulates along the lines with diabetes, with fatty liver. I think there are many other things they accumulate. We don't even know that they're there. And if we find those, we may be able to find ways to remove those elements because those are the ones, in my opinion, that contribute, not necessarily cause, but contribute to progression, to development and progression of disease. As you're talking about these things, it, it makes perfect sense that, you know, it's a little bit is good, some is essential, and too much causes problems. Yeah. Now, your work is in gastroenterology, and it makes sense that a lot of the exposures, a lot of the things that could impact from an exposome situation are things we might ingest. That's correct. Things, things we might inhale. Now, are there other systems from pathophysiologic standpoint that as you look at in a holistic area that, that we should be thinking about from an exposome aspect that are relevant today and, and maybe in the future? Yeah, well, in my biased opinion, uh, I see all of those systems being affected, correct? Think about the digestive system and the liver. They do a lot of work in that space. But the liver is more relevant to lipophilic compounds and the metabolism of those. But think about the kidney. A lot of the hydrophilic compounds go through the kidney. The skin is the biggest organ. How do we know all these exposures? They may have something on the skin and the skin senses those and create reactions above and beyond skin conditions. We're talking about millions of chemicals around us. And also we're talking about not necessarily the asbestos and the smoking and the things that we know with the epidemiological studies are truly environmental insults to our health. I'm talking about daily small exposures of what we use to our skin, of what we use to clean our house, of the air we breathe. We don't have a system to measure those. And so microplastics and what microplastics release to the environment and to interactions that we may have with them. Nanoparticles, we know very little. The lungs is the perfect organ. It has been exposed to many things. You know, fatty liver, we claim that the fat is relevant. Yes, but what if there's something soluble within the fat that we don't even see or measure that contributes to disease? And so to me, it's an area that we have to create more awareness to the society, to the patients, to us as investigators and improve the methodologies so we can make it easier and affordable for investigators and groups to study this element. And I can see also that the NIH pays more attention now to those studies and they're willing to bring more funding to those studies because they see the value. So I know there was a lot and there has been a lot of, I think even uh, lawsuits related to the 9-11 tragedy and a number of the firefighters and first responders who went in, many without any kind of respiratory protection and many who became quite ill. And it just struck me as you were talking about sort of these huge exposures 
that likely many of them got on on lungs and on skin. And has there been any work looking at any of the exposomes or anything there um, that people have found? I'm not aware of, but as I said, the challenge we're having with this field is like we need to improve the testing to become more available, more robust, and easily executable and more precise. A lot of the studies we're doing, we know we have to pay a lot of attention to be able to have all the standards to assess accuracy and replication of, of the findings. You know, sequencing DNA and assessing mutations, it has been much easier. The cost has been reduced significantly, and this brings the opportunity of testing. When you have millions of exposures around you every single day, even if few of those are truly the ones that contribute to disease, there are too many. So by the number, uh, I suspect we'll find the impact, but it will take some time. So Costas, we're getting ready to wind down here in a little bit. So I'm a primary care doctor. And this to me is cutting edge stuff and it's fascinating. And I can just see that the future of this area of research and investigation is endless. I mean, we are just going to continue to get information and learn more, but what should a practitioner know about exposome right now? And then I'm actually going to ask you to make a comment because Mayo is going to be hosting a conference later this year on this topic. So first, what should a primary care provider know about this? I think, first of all, Denise, is to be aware of the existence of this field and the fact that environment is equally important to our host genetics. It doesn't happen in isolation there are pathways and there are systems. And so exposures are part of the equation. For the vast majority of diseases, it's the combination of the interaction between who we are genetically and what we are exposed to. We're getting a good handle of our genetics and that will only improve, but we have to pay the attention on the environment. Of course, we're talking about don't smoke, don't drink excessively, if we can afford, use organic food or wash your vegetables and all of the above. But there are too many other exposures around us that we don't know exactly who is susceptible to what. As I said earlier, iron is innocent to many of us, but for some people it's catastrophic. Who tells me what we clean our house with where you have continuous exposures day after day or other things in the plastic utensils we use or other things that we have in our daily life, I maybe have a proximity to something that it's not good for me. And that's why to me, that's important about individualized medicine because as we individualize your genetic profile, at some point we're going to start thinking and, ho and hope to individualize our own exposures. One day I hope we'll go back and say, those are your genetic predispositions, BRCA1, BRCA2, and few others. We have to watch you for that. But then I envision will say, those are some of the exposures that you have been exposed to and we have to monitor or we have to avoid you exposed to X, Y, and Z because you, you're going to have an inflammatory reaction. You're going to have a tendency to, do, to, to create mutations because of that. 
And the latter, the exposure association to disease contribution, it's still a black box that we know very, very, very little. When we go back 10 years from now, 20 years from now, and we're talking about what we learn, the smoking and the alcohol and the radon, they will be just a very small fraction. But again, that's how science works, correct? You have to invest to understand more, and then you go back and you get better. And so that's the opportunity of the conference. See how we can learn all together. See how we can bring this concept forward in a way that it will help our patients. It will broaden our horizons and become better as delivering uh, medicine and cures. Thank you, Costas. So as a reminder, Mayo Rochester will be hosting an individualizing medicine conference this fall in November with a focus on the exposome. I want to thank you, Dr. Costantinos Lazaridis, for this podcast. We have been talking about the exposome with Dr. Lazaridis. Thank you for your time, Dr. Lazaridis. If you have enjoyed our Mayo Clinic Talks podcast, please follow us wherever you subscribe to podcasts. See, your genes really do matter, and so does your environment. <laughs>